Well, good morning. My name is Derek, and I'm one of the other pastors here. And again, we're excited that you're here. This is actually a cool day because we are celebrating new life, new birth. We have 14 baptisms coming a little bit later. Not yet. Um, but what's cool is because of things like this, you might not normally go to church, but this is our third week in our series about what the church is about, kind of that video you just saw. And so maybe this will be a great day for you to hear what is church about? Uh, what are the values of the church? And so we're glad that you're here. This might be the perfect time for you just to investigate this whole thing called Christianity uh, and what the church is. You know, I've, I've learned something in my life, and, and I don't know if there's some law or something in science, but it's the law of limited resources. That's what I would call it. Maybe you've experienced this. We have limited resources, and therefore we have to make decisions on what to do with those resources, whether it be money, whether it be time, whether it be energy, all, all those things, they're limited. And because they're limited, we make certain decisions based on those limited resources, and those decisions reflect our values. So for us as a family, and each family has, you know, really different values. Uh, our family, we really value time together. Uh, we believe that families that play together stay together. Uh, we think our relationships are really important for our kids and for us. Uh, so we do some things like dinner as much as possible. We have dinner together. Um, and while at dinner, a lot of times we play a game called high-low. Uh, what's the high point of your day and what's the low point of your day? Um, and sometimes kids will go on and on, and sometimes it's like, yeah, it was fine. Um, but, but that's part of, of relationship. Uh, we also prioritize one vacation at least a year where we just as a family go do something together. Uh, we make a point to get away, and we try and make it fun. Because again, we think adventure together, fun together is important for us as a family and for relationships. Last summer, we went whitewater rafting, uh, which was tons of fun. I highly recommend that. But different families might have different values. They might make different decisions than we do that aren't necessarily right or wrong. We just do some things differently. Well, the church is also a family. You know, and I would say the church as a whole, the kingdom of God, every church, every believer following Jesus as Lord is part of that same kingdom and is part of that same family. But then each local congregation, like we are one local congregation, might express that a little bit differently, might have a little bit different priorities or values. And so today, that's what I want to do is share with you our values here at Common Ground. And I'm not going to say these have to be the exact same values at every church around. But these are ours, and we want to be clear with who we are so that people can find out where God might have them. Because there's other great churches in town, and for us to accomplish what we, want, what we think God wants to accomplish in our area, all these churches need to thrive. And so I'm going to tell you about who we are. Now, if you missed the first two weeks, you can go online, you can watch it, uh, you can listen to the podcast. But just to sum up real quick, week one, we talked about our mission. And our mission here is connecting people to the abundant life only possible through an abiding relationship with Jesus. That's our mission. And that's just our way of restating the great commission found in Matthew. Go make disciples of all nations. And every biblical church is going to have the same mission phrased differently. But we phrase it this way because we think it's important that we are connecting people not just to the church but to Jesus and to the abundant life he has. Now, i got to be careful not to re-preach that sermon. Um, but God said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He's not a God uh, of just legalism and law, and he's not you know, up there in heaven with this magnifying glass, you know, like a kid with ants just trying to wait for us to mess up. He wants to give us a really great life, but it's only possible 
as we walk abiding with Jesus. Or another way it's said in the New Testament is walking by the Spirit. And so we want to help people learn how to walk in the Spirit, how to abide in Christ and experience that abundant life. But then our vision, we expressed, and it's on the wall right over here, is we are fueling a movement of God's people surrendered to his mission wherever he places us. And we state that this way because, again, go back to the Great Commission in Matthew where he says, go make disciples. Uh, This is supposed to be a movement. God saves us in order to send us. He doesn't save us so that we can just become part of a church and, and hang out and get to go to heaven later. He saves us because he wants to do something in and through us in the lives of others. And we're going to see more about that today. But we state that very clearly. That's, that's our vision. We, we are not content just doing church or being religious. We want to see God move, which is why today is so much fun. Because even during this COVID time, God is moving And there are people growing in Christ and today going to say, I am following him as Lord of my life. Now turn to 2 Corinthians, if you would. 2 Corinthians, we are going to see Paul talk about really the DNA of the church, the DNA of a Jesus follower, and then the DNA of a group of Jesus followers. And we're going to study this passage real quick, and then I'm going to share with you really out of this passage our five values. So it's in uh, 2 Corinthians 5. It's going to be on the screen if you don't feel like looking it up. Um, but, by the way, it's okay to write in your Bible. So I recommend bringing your Bible. I know you can do it on the computer and tablets and whatever. That's great, too. Underline things, circle things. This passage we're looking at, uh, in my Bible, every time I go through, I underline and circle more things, so it's almost hard to even read what's here. Um, so that's okay. Underline, circle. This is a great passage. 2 Corinthians 5. I'm just going to read the passage, and then we'll talk about it. Starting in verse 17, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross and rose from the dead, that we could have life. Thank you uh, for having this written so clearly of what you want to do in us and also what you want to do through us. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would be with us in this room right now, that our worship would glorify you, And that you would open up our hearts and our minds that if there's something you want to do in our lives, that we would be open to that. We would say yes to you before we even know what you're asking. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we see how this begins. This is one of the great verses to have memorized, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. New creation, something that wasn't before. Here's the truth about being in Christ. And, And you'll notice... The Bible never says believe things about Jesus. It says believe 
in Jesus or in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, meaning they have surrendered their life to him as Lord, believe he died on the cross and rose from the dead, they're a new creation. Jesus was talking to a Pharisee, and Jesus said, listen, you need to be born again. And this religious leader, very spiritual person, said, how can I be born again? How can I go back into my mother's womb and come out again? I don't get it. He says, no, this is a spiritual thing. You need to be spiritually born again. That's what he's talking about here, a new creation. We are taken from dead to alive. We were born in sin, separated from God, every human, and it's your parents' fault. And it's their parents' fault. And we trace that all the way back to Adam and Eve. We were born in sin because our parents were sinful. And so we were born separated from God. And then you've also chosen to sin. I mean, raise your hand if you've never sinned. Good job. <laughs> I've had people say, oh, yeah, no, I've never sinned. We, we know it. We've sinned. And that sin separates us from God. We were created for a relationship with him. And God created us for that relationship knew with our sin problem that we couldn't do anything about it, so he had to do something about it. And what this passage is saying, is talking about, is, being, uh, is reconciliation. Do you kids know what that means? That's a weird word, reconciliation. It, it means repairing a broken relationship. So to, to give you an example, Elise, I want you to come up here. Take your mask off. This is my youngest daughter, Elise, and I just told her right before this, that I, and she doesn't know what we're talking about. Yeah, go ahead and say hi. Hi. Okay, uh, do you remember this week when you were making a snowman and then playing in the snow? You remember that? Mm -hmm. Out front? Yeah. Yeah, and the snow was really wet. Maybe you guys played in the snow too. What did I do? Uh, do you remember? When you were over by the fence doing this? Oh, good. <laughs> you, you, you don't remember, did I hurt you? Yeah, did. Oh, yeah, you did. <laughs> Yeah, you threw a snowball at me. Yeah, speak louder. What did I do? Uh, he threw a snowball at me. And where did I hit you? Uh, I don't know. Wow, I hit you hard. I hit you right here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. I hit you right there, and the snowball was too big, and it was too wet, and it hurt. Um, and so what did you do? Uh, <laughs> forgot. Okay, I really hit you hard. Yeah, you cried a little bit. And, and I, I said sorry, but then I ran off and continued, and I went back to work. Um, but I didn't go over there and give you a hug and say I'm sorry and ask for you to forgive me. And so I'm going to do that now. I'm sorry that I hit you in the head and gave you a headache. <laughs> do you forgive me? Yes. You do? Yeah. So our relationship is good? Yeah. Oh, I love you. <laughs> good. All right, you can go sit down. Okay. <laughs> so that's, that's just a picture of reconciliation right? We've wronged other people. We've made mistakes. Other people have wronged us and then come and said, ah, forgive me. I'm sorry. Can we get back on, on right footing? Can we be friends again? Can we restore our relationship? That's what we need with God. Because of our sin, it's like hitting him in the head with a snowball, only way, way worse. It breaks that relationship, which means we are born destined to go to hell, eternity apart from God. And we need that relationship reconciled, brought back together. And so here we see that we have been reconciled. If we are in Christ, we are reconciled because of what Jesus did on the cross. This is by faith. We believe in him. We believe he died on the cross, rose from the dead. We are reconciled. And then something happens. 
Something happens, not we're new creations, but now he does something in and through us. And so for me, I, I mean, I want to begin by begging like Paul does here, be reconciled to God. God is worth it. If you're here, you're visiting, this is new to you, or you're not, you're not sure what's true, here's the truth. There is one way to salvation. It is Jesus Christ. He died on the cross because he loves you. He made you in his image. He wants you to be with him for eternity. He wants to give you a great life now, which doesn't mean health and wealth and all that. He might give you that great, but it means a, a great life of love, joy, peace, despite circumstances. He wants to give you that, and it's only found by surrendering to him as Lord. And so as Paul appeals to them, I appeal to you, be reconciled to God. But then something else happens. Verse 18. It says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, to be reconciled, kind of like with me and Elise or another relationship, there needs to be forgiveness. Skip down real quick to verse 21. It says, for our sake, he, that is God, made him, that is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's this great exchange. He died on the cross. He died the death we deserved so that he could give us the life he deserves. So then God looks at us, this, this verse says in 21, as righteous, meaning in right relationship. That is awesome. This change changes the way God views you so we're not saved and then we mope around and, and, and beat ourselves for our sin. No, God looks at us and says, forgiven, right with, with God because of Jesus. And then, you see, we are ministers of that reconciliation. That's another weird word, minister. You know, I guess, you know, if you've been in America very long, you think of minister, you probably picture a, a collar, right? A little white thing right here, a minister. What this word means is waiter. It means table waiter. So like you go to a, re a restaurant, you sit down, you order food. The person that comes, and many of you have done this job or do this job right now, your job is to wait that table, to serve them the food, to take their order, those things. That's what we are, but we're not serving food. We're serving spiritual life. We are ministers, that is, we are servants of others to bring this message of reconciliation. We don't have any authority to, to make somebody saved. We bring the message is what these verses say. So every Jesus follower is a new creation, reconciled to God, and a minister with a responsibility to help others reconcile to God and grow in Jesus. So this is what we're about, being reconciled to God, enjoying that life, and then helping others be reconciled to God. So with that in mind, here's some of our values that come out of this of how we want to do our best job at being ministers of reconciliation. Here's our first one for us here at Common Ground. Doing more by doing less. Doing more by doing less. If you've been here very long, uh, or if you hang out today and you go to Discovery, you'll learn a little bit more about this. Uh, we don't do a lot of programs here. Not because programs are a bad thing at all. But again, this, this, this law of resources, of, of lack of resources, we, want, we say no to some good things in order to say yes to what we believe are better things. And so we don't do a lot of things. And because life change best takes place in authentic community around the word of God, we emphasize groups rather than programs. We want to get together around the word. So we have a couple key gatherings. This is one. This is a big deal. The Bible tells us, do not forsake the gathering. We get together to worship, to glorify God, to hear from his word, 
to celebrate new life, this is important. And then the next important gathering would be getting together in groups where we study the Bible, we talk about life, not just Bible study, but then applying it to life and walking through life together. So we emphasize groups. Uh, we don't have a lot of classes. We do have one going on right now because it's so awesome. Uh, and Preston and Linda are so awesome to, to lead it. Um, and it's about abiding, and that's part of what our mission is here, help people abide. So we do have some classes here and there, but for the most part, we don't want to compete with those groups. Uh, we don't have a lot of kids' stuff outside of Sunday, but right now, well, not right now because it's a family service, um, but during this time, we have kids' stuff going on really, really important. And you're going to see so many kids getting baptized today because parents, you're doing a good job, and because our children's ministry there is partnering with parents. I would argue that maybe what is happening there is more important than what's happening here. Our kids are that important. So it's a priority. Our youth are also a huge priority. We're going to see some youth getting baptized today because they've come to youth group and they've spoken to one of their leaders and, and, and their leaders have shared the gospel and they've said yes to Jesus and now want to tell everybody that they love Jesus. And so youth group is very, very important because again, life change takes place best, we believe, in authentic community around the word. Here's our second one. Sending capacity, not seating capacity. And we go back again to the Great Commission and these verses that we're looking at here. We are ministers of reconciliation. Uh, we, because we are ministers of reconciliation, we know most of that work is not going to be done in this building. Sometimes, absolutely, people will come here, need to hear the gospel, and say yes to Jesus. It happens all the time. Most of the time, that begins out there. It begins where you live, where you work where you play, those relationships. And so we, we want to send people there, you, to live life sharing Christ. And so this reconciliation, for the most part, never starts or rarely starts here. It starts there. And so we don't want to have a lot of programs and things keeping you here. We want to equip the saints, as the Bible says, but then we want to kick you out and send you home to have great time with your family, to have great time in your community uh, out there. Again, sending capacity, not seating capacity. And you see here, Paul, I love the way he says this. Uh, he says, we uh, implore you, be reconciled to God. It's like he's begging. I want you to experience life so much. I implore you, be reconciled to God. This life is wonderful. And we are to do that out there. So for us, also, our goal isn't just to fill seats, but to take those who God does bring here, equip, and send to make a difference there. And part of that for our vision, too, is we want to be part of church planting. There are other communities in our area that need more churches, and we want to partner with that. Uh, we want to see God's kingdom expand, and that leads some to our next value, and that is number three, kingdom over castle. Kingdom over castle. Any organization has a tendency to move in and focus in, to, to, to make sure it continues to exist, it continues to thrive, whatever that is, every organization has this tendency to move in. We want to be about the kingdom, not just about our church. So for us, again, we want to see God do great things in our community, and for him to do what we believe he wants to do, it means all the churches need to be healthy. And so kingdom over castle. So we, we pray for the other churches in town. You know, I, I've been in contact with some of the other pastors. Tell us when you have baptisms and we'll share and, and celebrate that together. But we want to do what's best for the kingdom. So for us in making decisions and values, if a decision will be best for the kingdom, but not best for our church, 
We've already decided beforehand we're going to do what's best for the kingdom, even if we suffer for it. Every church at some point ceases to exist. I mean, read the New Testament. None of those churches are still there. And so that's okay. There's cycles. But we are going to make decisions based on what's best for the kingdom. And then that leads to number four. It's not about me. Because we are ministers of reconciliation, we implore, be reconciled to God. And then we have our mission, you know, of, of discipling the abundant life and uh, abundant life found only possible through an abiding relationship with Jesus. Because that's our priority, we don't want to get stuck up in personal opinions. Scripture is our guide, but how many times in church can we cater to maybe the big givers or cater to those who have been there the longest or make decisions to appease the pastor or, or whatever it is? Rather, can we make decisions based on what's best for the kingdom? And so here this idea is it's not about me. Now, we are very blessed as a church to only be about five years old. So we don't have a lot of those sacred cows, uh, you know, these traditions that we just have to protect. We've been blessed to not have those yet, but we have to protect against those. But again, it's not about me or any individual. It's about the kingdom. I I heard a story this week from another church uh, on this issue exactly. And it was an older church, a dying church, and they needed to restore. uh, So they had a new pastor. And they, again, kind of new vision. How can we get this going? And one of the first things they did was they sold the handbells. You ever seen handbells? They're actually pretty cool. Um, They sold the handbells. And one of these days, a couple weeks later, um, a lady came up and said, why did you sell the handbells? My my mother bought those handbells 30 years ago. And the pastor explained, well, here's the thing. Um, that's not really reaching people anymore. We thought it would be best to get rid of those, to buy some other things we needed to reach those who don't know Jesus yet. She's like, well, what did you buy with them? Electric guitars? <laughs> yeah, and, and her response was, okay, that makes sense. But that's, that's a mature attitude there of, my opinion, I like the handbells. Mom bought the handbells, but here's what's best for the kingdom. We're not going to do that. So for us, we have to protect against that. And, and sometimes there's hard conversations, but we don't cater to personal opinions that are against a kingdom-mindedness. So again, we make decisions based on what's best for the mission, not personal preference, including music style and things like that. And we say this a lot, we're a battleship, not a cruise ship. In a battleship, everybody has a role to play on a mission. A cruise ship, you go to just you know, get what you want. Um, it's a consumer thing. We don't believe church is a consumer thing. We are rather a sending agency than a, a gathering agency. And that leads to the last one, which I would argue is maybe the most important of all of them. The goal is life change. The goal is life change. Look back at 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When we place our faith in Jesus, he changes us. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in our hearts. We start loving the things God loves and hating the things he hates. We start hating sin in our own life, although we still struggle with it. The goal is life change. Sometimes in church, we can get wrapped up into uh, conformity. Oh, here's what people act like here, so I'm going to act like that. Well, acting a certain way without a heart change is totally pointless. We want to be about life change, meaning we need to be authentic with each other. That's why we get into groups. And we're not going to probably stand up in here and confess sin and share about our struggles with our kids. But in groups, we can. And we can break up into smaller groups. And we can because it's about life change. Again, God 
Jesus, when he came, he said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus wants you to have a great life, healthy relationships, healthy marriages, peace and joy despite circumstances. But you know what? Most of us, when we come to know Christ, that's not our experience. And so we need to change. The Bible calls this sanctification. We are made new. Then God begins a process the Bible calls sanctification, a process by which the Holy Spirit transforms us into the image of Christ. And it is progressive. We're not saved and then perfect. We're saved and then right with God. Heaven is secure. But then we go through a process of change, and sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it hurts. It's like throwing your whole life right-handed, and then one day you break your arm and you have to throw left-handed, you know? Walking the Christian life sometimes is like throwing left-handed, and so we practice and we grow and we learn. And there's a lot of grace involved in this from us within the church and, thankfully, from God himself as he leads us, as we try and fail and stumble and are forgiven, and he picks us up and leads us forward. The apostle Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 1.16. He says, it is written, be holy, for I am holy. God wants us to walk in holiness conquering addictions, getting over sin and walking with him. That's life change. And so we're going to celebrate some life change today with baptisms. We're going to move to baptism, and after that, we're going to do some communion where we celebrate what Jesus did on the cross. But baptism is, is our way of telling the world, Jesus has changed my life. You can be baptized if you believe that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and you place your faith in him, meaning you trust him, not about him, but in him. Uh, I got to talk to everybody that's getting baptized, and one of the questions I ask is, are you okay, Jesus being in charge of your life? And sometimes for the younger ones, we have to explain that and wrestle with that. But it means you're saying yes to Jesus before you know what he's going to ask of you. Meaning we're willing to do whatever he says. We're willing to go wherever he might send us. So baptism is a picture of of what God has done. Baptism doesn't save. This is very important. You don't get baptized in order to get saved. You are saved by faith in Jesus alone. But baptism is a symbol of this new life we see in 2 Corinthians 5.17. And so as we baptize, we baptize, as the Great Commission says, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. They're all involved in this. And we say, died with Christ... Buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. And that's the point where you all cheer. Because we're, really, this is a celebration of new life, going from death to life. In Ephesians, we're told that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. I mean, dead, dead. Like drowned at the bottom of the pool, dead. For an hour. There's no reviving that person. But God grabs the dead person, you and me, pulls us and makes us alive. And so we die with Christ. We actually do this spiritually, and baptism symbolizes it. Died with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. And so we're going to celebrate this, and then at the end, we're going to sing a couple more songs. We're going to do communion. But at the end, there's actually going to be an opportunity for you to get baptized. So if you're wondering why I didn't bring an extra pair of clothes, we have extra clothes for you. But today, as we're going through this, if you realize I said yes to Jesus but I haven't gotten baptized, or you hear this message, and today for the first time you say, I do believe. I want to be reconciled. I'm going to be available, and you can come talk to me, and we can reconcile you with God right there, and then get baptized. In the Bible, you never see somebody take a, a class before baptism. 
They never get their life ironed out before baptism. They always are baptized, and then like, where's some water? You know, at, the, at Pentecost, 3,000 people are saved in one day in Jerusalem. They were all baptized that same day. Picture that in Jerusalem. Thousands of people looking for water in order to get baptized. That's awesome. That's the picture. And so, if you're getting baptized, get ready. We're going to do that.